My name is Micah Jenkins, and welcome to the Teaching Beyond the Podium podcast series. This podcast is hosted by the Center for Teaching Excellence at the University of Florida, and our guests share their best tips, strategies, innovations, and stories about teaching. This episode's topic is on Canvas. We sat down with James Kotcher, e-learning support manager at UF, and he provided some tips, tricks, do's and don'ts for new and experienced Canvas users. James has had a long and interesting journey into education that started in the U.S. Navy when he was nominated Educational Petty Officer. He eventually landed at UF in 2004. I first started here at UF in 2004. Uh, 2004, 2007, I was actually designing online laboratories for the entomology department using Flash. Um, What's kind of interesting is uh, I'm still in contact with uh, one of the instructors that I worked with back then, and they're still using some of the stuff I did, what was that, 15 years ago? So yeah, I worked for public health, worked for College of Pharmacy, College of Nursing, and UF Online, and been in this current position since February of 2019. So why is Canvas such an important topic right now? Well, especially now, everyone, it's in some capacity is using Canvas. And especially since we moved everything online back in March of this year, we had people, first time users, never used an online system, never wanted to use anything online, but were kind of forced into it. So we had a lot of new users who really weren't sure what to do and had tons of questions, tons of calls. Uh, You know, people were kind of in a panic with, you know, how do I do what I did in the classroom in an online setting? For many faculty, moving online, especially as a result of unforeseen circumstances, can be difficult. But James tries to ease new users in by first introducing helpful, easy-to-use features that'll save you time. SpeedGrader, for instance, has easily won over many instructors. The One of the first things I would always show them is the SpeedGrader tool. It makes grading so much easier. And I would use that as my hook. I'm like, here, check this out. Look how cool this is. And they'll be hooked into it. But I think if they come with an open mind, you know, I'm going to learn this new system and try to figure out how we can adapt to my teaching or adapt my teaching to the system. You know, there's, there's a give and take there. It's really easy for users to get overwhelmed by all the tools and features in Canvas. In fact, even experienced users are always learning something new. For first-time users, James suggests starting with the basics, keeping it simple and starting small. Don't jump into the deep end. If it's your first semester using the online learning system, start with the basics. Don't make it harder on yourself. Get used to teaching in an online environment and then start to think about some of the more creative things you can do to make the engagement better. If you jump in and try and do this tool, this tool, and this tool, you're going to be overwhelmed, especially if they're new tools to you too. So give yourself a chance to grow. Don't expect your first semester teaching in Canvas to be perfect and to have all the tools that you want to use implemented. You know, give it time, let it grow. To help faculty get the most out of Canvas at the beginning of the semester, James also has some tips that are helpful for both first-time and experienced users. You do want to make sure your course is published before the first day of class. Even if it's just bare bones, you don't have all your modules ready, you can keep those unpublished, but have something there for them to click on to at least to see the syllabus and get an idea of your course structure. You do wanna run the link validator. So what the link validator is, if you go to settings in your course, it's on the right-hand side, what it'll do is run through all of the hyperlinks in your Canvas course to make sure that they work. So it'll find broken links for you, show you where they are so you can go fix them. Because nothing worse than you know midway through a semester, 
student clicks a link, like it's broken, what do I do? Save yourself and your students frustration with some of the easy to implement recommendations that James offers on setting dates and communicating through Canvas. Don't try to communicate with students using Canvas if your course is unpublished or before it becomes active. You can't use the inbox tool until the course is published and active, and you can't send out announcements. You can, however, if you set an announcement with a delayed posting date, it will then become, when that date comes up, it'll become active and send out to students. Don't forget to put an end date if you use a course override. So every semester, we've got set open and close dates for Canvas. So for like fall 2020, classes started August 31st, they opened at midnight on the 31st. Students could have access. A lot of teachers want to have students access and doing stuff in the course before that date. So to do that, you have to set the date you want it open and the date you want it closed. And then there's a little box underneath this where it says students can only participate in these dates. So you click that and then they can participate outside of what we've set as the default dates. Now, if you don't set a close date, the course stays open basically forever, which means students can still go in and post on the discussion board. If they have the ability to retake quizzes, they can do things. They can still email other students using the inbox because it's not closed. And I think the, the biggest issue is we get calls all the time. Why is this course still showing active in my Canvas dashboard when it was last semester? And it's because the instructor put the override but didn't put a closed date. So make sure if you're going to override the term dates we have set in Canvas that you put that closed date. Group work and collaborations among students are immensely valuable. They contribute to the feeling of belonging and ultimately to the quality of the learning experiences students have, especially in the online environment. It can be challenging to implement these kinds of activities and experiences, but James describes two Canvas collaboration tools that can help faculty facilitate successful group interactions. So we do have the ability to create groups within Canvas and you can have a group assignment and you can have group discussions. So a group assignment is an assignment that you create and assign to a group set that's got student groups within it. The students will work together to produce one artifact, you know, like a, a paper or a PowerPoint presentation that they will upload as a group. And when they get graded, they get graded as a group. When you think of group work, it's truly group work. A group discussion is just a discussion board that's limited to just those group members. So if I had 100 students in my class and had a discussion open, I'd have 100 students talking back and forth, which could be a mess. If I put them in groups of five, same discussion board, but only five people are interacting. They'll only see their four peers in that group. So it, it creates a smaller group discussion. You'll probably get more feedback, more interaction. But if it's graded, you still grade them individually. So it's not, they're not doing a group assignment as a discussion. A group discussion just limits them, the participants, to that group. James also wants faculty to be aware of their Canvas settings when working with group sets. So groups are kind of tricky because if I set up group sets, and you can have multiple group sets in a course. You can have like maybe a discussion group, a project group. If I copy that course to another semester, those group sets go away, which means any assignment or discussion board I had set to groups, it won't have a group set attached to it. It will actually still be a group assignment. And that can cause issues if it's a group assignment and there's no groups attached. There are some weird things, especially with, with SpeedGrader. Uh, 
that happen. So if you use group sets and you import your course content, make sure you recreate those group sets and potentially go through each group assignment or group discussion to make sure it's assigned to the right set as well. While it can be tempting to jump right into the exciting options for group work that Canvas offers, James advises instructors to wait until after drop ad to assign students to groups. What you don't want to do is start doing any kind of group work until drop ad is over. Because what happens is, and, and you usually see this with the discussion boards, instructors will create a discussion board with groups and during drop ad, students are getting added to Canvas three times a day. If you've created your groups and someone gets added, they don't automatically get added to a group. So they're not assigned to a group. But being a group discussion, they'll go into the discussion board, they'll post something, but no one's going to see it because it's not in any group. So we recommend you know, wait until the end of drop ad or make sure you're going through multiple times a day to assign new people to those groups. When it comes to quizzing effectively in Canvas, James advises Canvas users to make sure that students can access any files they might need. This has you know, really been something that's exploded since um, moving to online classes back in March. So some of the things that we've noticed a lot is you do want to make sure that your quiz images and files, if they're being used, are visible to students. So if you don't have the files tab hidden to students, you can still hide it from them, but make it viewable if you change it from published to viewable only with a link. So every file in Canvas has basically four uh, states. It can be published, it can be unpublished and students can't see it. It can be made viewable with a link, which means students won't see it in the files. But if, if it's attached to something, like if it's an image in, in a exam, they'll still be able to see it. Or you can set a, a viewability date range, like viewable from and an until date. So the best thing that we recommend, especially with, with images, is maybe create a folder, let's say exam one images. And if you set the folder to viewable only with a link, anything inside that will also be viewable without a link. And then you can, you can do that. So what we see a lot at the help desk is students calling in like, I have this test, I can't see the images, and the images have been unpublished. So the instructor can see them when they preview the exam, but students can't because it's not published. Because technology doesn't always work the way we want it to, James suggests that faculty give students extra time on quizzes as a buffer. You don't want to make your quiz time match the availability time. So if I've got, let's say, a 60-minute exam, you want to give a little buffer there. Because if I, if I set it to open at 8 a.m. and close at 9 a.m., if they have any kind of technical difficulty getting on, especially if using a proctoring service, that's eating into their availability time. So you want to give, you know, some little leeway. So if you start at 8 a.m., maybe have it go till 9.15. That way, especially if you're using something like Honor Lock, because they won't even be able to start until 8 a.m. And it has to go through and proctor you the same. Would go through scanning the room, you know, identify, using your ID card to identify who you are, going through all these steps. And if you've got that availability matching the exam length, it's eating into their exam time. So you want to give students that full, whatever you're giving them, 60 minutes, hour and a half. You want them to have that time in the test. So you give just a little bit of cushion, you know, because if, if you've got, and we actually had this issue in spring with, a, I think it was a chemistry course. They wanted everyone to take the test at eight o'clock at night. 
and they all logged in and it, it really slowed the system down because uh, they were using Unrelock. So students were freaking out. They were about losing time. Give them a little leeway. If possible, open up your availability time you know, 24 hours. There's still that, that kind of mentality of, oh, this is the exam day and time. We still need everyone to do that. But that's kind of the flexibility of using a learning management system is you don't have to have everyone start right on time. You know, give them time to, to choose the best time for them. UF offers two different proctoring services, ProctorU and HonorLock. So currently we have two approved vendors, uh, ProctorU, which does live proctoring, and HonorLock, which kind of uses an AI, but also has live proctors who will pop in if needed. So it's, re it's recording them, but if, it, if the AI notices suspicious behavior, so like if the test taker leaves camera, it's going to flag that as an incident. Or if they noticed, hey, they're going to a website outside of the exam and they shouldn't be, it's going to flag that. And if there's enough triggers, a proctor will actually come in through chat and say, hey, I noticed you're not in camera view. Can you please make sure you're in, you're in view of the camera? And then the, in, the instructor can go in afterwards and look at these reports and, and see through, you know, they'll see the entire recording of not only the, the camera, but the screen. Proctor U does it with a live proctor. And usually they've got, I think, five or six different exams going at once. And you've got to kind of schedule that ahead of time. Whereas with HonorLock, it can be, you know, you just click a button and you start. There's no scheduling of your exam time. To get the best results out of proctoring services, make sure to follow the instructions when setting up exams. So with HonorLock, when you enable one of your Canvas quizzes as an HonorLock exam, it will create a password and put it in the quiz for you. What that does is ties HonorLock to that quiz. If you change it or remove it, then students won't be required to go through the whole HonorLock process. It won't even start HonorLock. So it even has in the password, there's big letters, no edit. So just, yeah, when HonorLock puts in that password, don't edit it, don't remove it because that's, that's what ties that product to your, your quiz. To avoid student frustration and technology snags on exam day, James suggests giving students a low stakes practice exam so they can familiarize themselves with the proctoring technology. We do want you to create a practice quiz for any proctoring service that you intend to use, especially for Unlock. They even have a built-in practice quiz to let the student go through the experience in a non-testing situation just to make sure everything works. I know ProctorU has a test my computer function on their site as well. And some people are still using Lockdown Browser and you can do a, a practice quiz in a Lockdown Browser to make sure that students are able to access that quiz. Because nothing worse for a student than to try a technology for the first time on a high stakes exam and it doesn't work. Every once in a while, a quiz doesn't quite work as anticipated and you need to make changes to your Canvas quizzes. It might be easy to fix, but be sure to check with e-learning support before you do. Yeah, so we say do contact us before making any changes because we've had this a lot this semester. Um, it can throw off the grade. There are only a couple of things that can be regraded. So if you need to regrade, you know, contact us for you know, any, any tips and tricks on those. We've had people remove questions so the, the scores change and yeah. So before any, making any big changes, especially after they've taken it, 
because it could necessarily affect the grade, give us a call. Uh, along those lines, a lot of people think they need to make copies of an exam for students with accommodations, which isn't the case. And we'll talk about this with the due dates here in a second, but you can give different availability dates and times to individual students and also grant them different time extensions on their quizzes. So you don't need to have multiple versions of the exam. You can, you can have those variables within, within one test. Faculty can also make changes to quiz due dates on the student level, but be careful not to erase other students' scores in the process. With assignments, with uh, exams, you can grant, like I said, different due dates to individual students, to sections. And to do that, when you're in edit for both of them at the bottom where it has a due date set, there's a little box that says plus add. And if you click on that, you get a, a brand new set of due dates you can, you can give. You can type a student's name in. If you click on the box, you'll get a drop down with a few student names. But it's best if you start typing it in and then they'll pop up. Choose that student or students if you've got more than one who needs uh, that time. Give them their own available from due date and until date. And then it will show up differently to them than it would for the rest of the class. And what happens is normally when you just have the due date, it's as assigned to everyone. When you start adding in names and additional due dates, that everyone changes to everyone else. If you remove the everyone else, or if you just remove everyone and type in someone's name, that no longer is assigned to those who weren't picked, so to everyone else. So let's say the example is people have taken an exam, they've got their grades. We have a student who we wanted to, you know, for whatever reason, allow them to take it after. If you go in and you remove everyone and just put that student's name in and hit save, you go to the grade book, everyone else will now have a gray square with no grade in that column because basically you've unassigned it to them. The good thing is if you go back in you click the plus add and you type in everyone and add them back, those scores stay, the scores don't go away. But we, we see this often is like all these scores went away and we look and they remove the everyone and just added an individual student. So use that plus add button at the bottom of assignments, the bottom of quizzes to add those additional due dates. Leave, it, leave the everyone there, don't touch that one. Want to learn more Canvas tips and tricks? You can attend ongoing trainings presented by UFIT. There's two trainings to take. There's one called e-learning at UF, build and design, which is kind of really a Canvas basics. And what I do in that course is go over the dashboard and how to change your settings. And then we'll look at the course itself and settings and then go through how do I make an assignment? How do I create a quiz? The other one's called e-learning at UF, facilitate and engage. It takes you through, all right, I've got my course. It's the first day of class. What do I do? How do I put students in groups? How do I create rubrics? How do I grade? How do I use the uh, speed grader? And then we take almost a whole hour in looking at the grade book itself. So you can find those at training.it.ufl.edu. Click on where it says, look at uh, search current offerings. Just type in Canvas and those both come up. We're also offering for the first time a one hour webinar on how to make sure your Canvas gradebook is ready to be imported into One UF. One of my favorite tips is to experiment and be transparent. Try out new things in Canvas, but let your students know and ask for their feedback to make it better. Your students will be a lot more patient and willing to share creative ideas if you do. James also has a few final tips to share. Don't wait to the last minute to do anything with your course. Um, whether it's requesting it, 
whether it's posting an exam like, oh, I've got an exam today at 7 p.m. I'm going to put it up today. You want to do it a couple of days to give yourself a chance to, to make sure it's what you want and give you a chance to preview it and make sure that everything's working. Uh, I, I know as faculty, we experience students who wait until 11.50 on the night something's due at 11.59 to turn things in. And because technology is the way it is, that's exactly when you're going to have issues. So we don't want our students to wait to the last minute to do things. Kind of the same thing. Pre-plan, do these things ahead of time. Give yourself that time buffer we talked about with exams. And of course, with, with anything, if you're not sure what to do, if something's not working, contact e-learning support for help. Our number is 352-392-HELP, which is 4357. We're option three for Canvas for faculty and staff support. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Teaching Beyond the Podium podcast series. For more helpful resources developed by the Center for Teaching Excellence at UF, visit our website, teach.ufl.edu. We're happy you joined us, and we hope to see you next time for more tips, strategies, and ideas on teaching and learning at the University of Florida.